you know, ELP was accused of being very pompous by a lot of people. So he wanted the most unpompous name you can think of. And the manager came, what about three? That's pretty unpompous, right? That was the Sammy Hagar thing. You you just grab a hold of his uh, coattails and he drags you. He's a dynamo, that guy. He's amazing. I was sad, kind of, you know? Hey, this is it. When this album comes out, that's it. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate weekly classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson, thanks as always for hitting play. Now on this week's show, I've got an interview with a man who's a Grammy-nominated songwriter, singer, musician and producer. He's worked with many greats of classic rock, having been frontman in a band with Keith Emerson and Carl Palmer of Emerson, Lake and Palmer fame, of course. He replaced former guest on the show Steve Hackett in GTR alongside Yes legend Steve how he's played and recorded with the likes of Sammy Hagar, Gary Phil from Boston, Alan Fitzgerald from Night Ranger, and has a long working relationship with another former guest on the show, Greg Kinn. Now, Robert Berry talks all about being hand chosen to come from the US over to London, leaving big bands, his work to try and eradicate hunger and homelessness, and so much more, including his new album featuring the last track worked on and written by the late, great Keith Emerson. So here we go. Enjoy my interview with the charming. Robert Berry. I'm delighted to say my next guest on the Vintage Rock Pod is a man of many talents. He's a multi-instrumentalist. He's a singer. He's a, a songwriter and a producer. And he's worked with some of the biggest names in classic rock as well. I'm delighted to welcome to the Vintage Rock Pod, Mr. Robert Berry. Hey, Paul, how are you? Good to speak via Zoom. I'm good, thank you. I'm good indeed. And see, it's really something. Yes, I was going to say, I love the studio behind you. You're obviously in your studio setup right now. You're obviously a busy man at work. I am. I've been very lucky in the last year, you know, with everything kind of shutting down around here. You might know that I play a lot of instruments. A lot of my albums are done Mm -hmm. just me. And that's my business. People come in and let's say if you're a singer songwriter, you play guitar, you come in and you don't want to bring your buddy down the street that plays drums because he's thrashing all over the place, you know, and you don't want to bring your lead guitar player friend in because he wants to play Freebird and everything and you don't want Freebird, you know. <laughs> so you come to me and we talk about, you know, who your inspiration is, Coldplay, Foo Fighters, uh, Celine Dion, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and then you play me your song and, you know, I say, well, I don't think that sounds like Celine Dion kind of style of music, you know, that middle of road pop. And uh, we come to some kind of agreement on where we're going to head with it. That's uniquely you. And then I do all the instruments you don't do. So it's sort of oh. something I do. And it kept the studio busy because I'm working with one guy at a time, usually. Absolutely. And we'll just touch quickly on the fact that you, you're currently working with, uh, you've worked with him a few times already. And you're Greg Kinney, who we spoke to recently yes. too. Yeah, Greg and I, we get together half a day, once a week. Uh, to write a song for better or for worse, you know, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it just the thing is to get one down. Right. And if he comes in with nothing and I got nothing, we write a song about nothing. <laughs> you know, it's just part of the process to keep the juices flowing. It's, well, it's like you doing interviews all the time. You know, if you had a month off, that first one on the way back would be a, a little foggy, let's say. 
So you got to keep at it. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a little bit of time to get going. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so yeah, let's talk about you then, Robert. I mean, let's 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 go back a few years now. You're obviously American, as we can tell from your accent, but you, you do have roots to, to the UK, don't you? You moved to the UK, and and that's where you, you met some incredible um, musicians and artists, didn't you? I actually got called right here in the studio where we're talking right now from Carl Palmer in 1986, I think it was. Wow. And uh, I thought it was a joke. <laughs> and I thought it was a friend of mine playing a joke on me. So I was very, oh, with you. Oh, yeah, Paul. Yeah, sure. You're in Scotland. Yeah, right. Oh, how's the, how's the weather? You go, no, really? You show me outside. I go, oh, my God. That's what happened with Carl. He goes, well, I'm at the Geffen Records office with John Kalodner, who was the guru of so many things. Yeah. And he's the one that brought me to England, downtown, right there in London, actually, the first time to try to find a couple guys to start a band with. We couldn't get the right combination and it wound up that steve hackett from genesis had left gtr where he and steve howe from yes made this band and steve howe liked my cassette tape that carl had and steve asked me to join gtr so i did that for a year had a little problem with the singer and i thought you know i can't live my life in unfriendly territory even though steve and i got along great he's a lovely guy i, I have just the highest praise for him and the songs we wrote I, I, some of the best that I've ever been involved in, but I quit because I, you know, young age, I said, there's something better. Well, Keith Emerson wanted to have lunch. So I spent another year then with Carl and Keith Incredible downtown, you know, Kensington high streets where I lived. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was an amazing time for me. A guy that had a band that had a record contract, a band called hush in out of California and did a little something, but never really cracked it, you know? And all of a sudden, here I am working with my heroes. Uh, pretty cool. Very cool pretty indeed. Cool. I mean, ELP were absolutely huge. And as you say, they're working with Carl Palmer and the wonderful Keith Emerson and, and yeah. you. And you became the band three, didn't you? Yes. And, you know, ELP was accused of being very pompous by a lot of people. So we wanted the most unpompous name you can think of. The manager <laughs> came. What about three? <laughs> oh, that's pretty unpompous, right? The problem with the letter, the number three is... Everything's cataloged by letters, right? I mean, there's no three oh, yeah. inside A, B, C, D, three, D, E, F, you know. So it was a little bit hard to find, still is hard to find, but I think they, they put things maybe under my name now instead of uh, 3.2, which is the new moniker for that. <laughs> anyway <laughs> so you obviously enjoyed your time and um, working with with the guys and, and the album that came out that followed and the big tours and everything like that i mean how was that for you like you said you came over from from america and then all of a sudden you're working with these two heroes in, in the uk yes it interesting enough i mean we had a number nine song on, on the billboard charts toured the united states but we never played europe or, or japan where yeah. emerson lincoln palmer huge especially keith was huge yeah um they, you know, we did that year. We, we did very well with the record. They'd had a lot of criticism because the ELP fans didn't want Keith playing songs like Carl had done in Asia. See, Carl didn't get criticized. He'd already yeah. done Asia. That was okay for Carl. Keith got criticized a lot. So he, that was hard on him. He broke up the band because of that. And we never played Europe, Japan, you know, wherever else, Brazil. I mean, I was so looking forward to it. Um, yeah, but, you know, after that, it seems like doors kept opening for me. I, I will say that the play with Keith Emerson gives you a stamp of approval that maybe yes. no other musician could give you. You know, he is the best of the best. 
so dedicated, such a great musician, plays the hardest material, is, is the, was the nicest guy, funny guy, everything. People just loved him. So when they find out, hey, you play Keith Emerson, yeah, hey, you, you want to give it a try over here? You know, yeah, it happened with the band Ambrosia with me. You know, I, I joined them as a singer, singing Blue Eyed Soul stuff, which has nothing to do with Keith. But they thought, well, if he's good enough to do that and he says he can sing this stuff, we ought to give him a try. You know, that was an amazing time for me. Absolutely. And we, we talked about Keith and Carl and, and Steve and everyone else, but you've also worked with some other huge names, haven't you? Sammy Hagar and there's people out of Boston and, and Night Ranger and various groups that you've worked with in the past. It's yeah. Really it, incredible sort of career. It, you know, it, it really is incredible, but every time I hear the list, it sounds like I can't keep a job. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually brought in, I'm brought in as a songwriter. I'm brought in to stimulate new blood, which was what I did with Keith and Carl, kind of. That's that's why John Kalodner, actually at Geffen, put me in certain things. Um, yeah, Boston was different. I, I worked with uh, Gary Peel in a band called Alliance. I, I did a little bit with Tom Scholes, but I'd never been in the band Boston. But uh, Sammy, I played with for two years. But that was the Sammy Hagar thing. You you just grab a hold of his uh, coattails and he drags you, you know, he's a dynamo, that guy. He's amazing. And still right now, I just saw a thing, him and Rick Springfield are going out. They got this beach bar rum. They partner in a, another alcohol. Oh, nice. And Damn. I mean, you just can't stop that guy. It's amazing. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. And one more of the uh, project that you've been involved with. Um, very interestingly, is a Christmas based project. And you've done it a few times, haven't you? Tell us about that. You know, I have this idea besides the music that we have a big homeless problem here in the United States. And, and I know uh, the UK does. I believe after being involved in food banks and stuff, $20 can buy a ton of food. It doesn't take much money, right? And I believe that if every little town or every little city took care of their own homeless in some way, there's always an empty building. There's always somebody that has a little bit of money and it doesn't take much. You know, if you take a small area and everybody does their small area, I think we could wipe it out ourselves not the, the big governments not the state the federal whatever you know just right there take care of your own people that that's my belief and that's december people's belief and we take classic holiday songs and we do them in the style of the biggest band like a zz top doing a santa claus is coming to town you know oh, 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 you better watch out better, you know it, it's really the songs i find they fit like a glove you'd almost say Wow, um, Tears for Fears, you know, everybody wants to rule the world, you know that song. Yeah. It's, you know, we had an 80s song, you know, 90s song. Um, we're doing Silent Night, and it's so beautiful that it could have been the original song. Forget everybody wants to rule the world. It could have been Silent Night. It just fits like a glove. So we have four albums of this stuff. We go out in November, December, and we play for the food banks and charities that deal with the homeless. It hasn't caught on as big as I'd like it to yet. There's been some roadblocks with three different managers, and that's always the key to success. Um, but we've proved the theory, and um, we see people in, in small towns and so working like Topeka, Kansas. That's not a really super small town, but they work so hard. Huge food bank there with all this food and clothes and everything. So that's, that's what December People's all about. It's uh, been very rewarding. Fantastic. Yeah, it sounds like a really, really rewarding 
um, project you worked with and, and I wish you every success with that going forward and I hope it continues to grow and grow like you want it to. It sounds great. In Texas in November, December, it's 65 degrees. So, it's, you know, you can, you can tour there. California's <laughs> 80 sometimes, you know. We can tour West Coast and South, but it's even the East Coast is hard for us. We've been to uh, New York, played. It, it's it's rough. <laughs> <laughs> Very chilly indeed. But let's move back to, to now then. You've, you've got a new album out and um, it's under the name of 3.2. Um, and the album is called The Third Impression. Now tell us a little bit about that then. Originally, Keith, Carl and I had the band 1988-3. 27 years later, Keith and I decided to do another one, and Carl was busy doing his own thing. He didn't want to do it. We said, okay, let's put it 3.2, because there's two of us doing it. It's the second album. That'll be that. <laughs> well, right in the middle of it, we had, I don't know, six, seven songs written. Uh, I had most of Keith's keyboard parts, um, and it was just my job to kind of finish up. Well, Keith died. We lost him. Yeah, and uh, I wasn't going to put that album out, but talking to his son and the record company frontiers the other people they said why don't you, you should finish this up you know and it'd be a nice last statement of, of keith's life that he was still a viable artist writing wise and everything because there had been some criticism about him with his arm not able to play and uh, someone had said oh i don't i think he's washed up and that's not true was part of keith's problem he didn't like that criticism you know and i don't blame him mm-hmm. not when you've done such incredibly great work in the past and the people should just be saying, well, he's getting older. He had an operation on his arm, you know. Hey, thank God he's still playing. We love love the music. But that's not what a lot of guys had done. They said, oh, he can't play anymore. He has a backup keyboard player. The, just stuff that wasn't right. Plus the fact that Keith moved to California. Now, California is flavor of the month. We're into the pop artists. We're into the what's the newest thing. That's not the way you treated Keith Emerson. He should have been back in England working with people that know how to treat royalty, basically. And I mean that seriously, you know. <clears throat> Europe knows or just enjoys good music. Here in the States, it's the hits, you know. And, and that wasn't where Keith lived. He didn't live in the hits. So Greg Lake had the hits, you know. But Keith was all about the music and everything. Anyway, we did this album. He, we lost him in the middle of it. Two years later, I decided, okay, I'll let the record company put it out. I was very nervous about it. I thought, oh, geez, I had to finish this by myself. It got rave reviews. It did so well that Frontiers Records, who puts out White Snake and Asia and Yes, and I mean, they have everybody, right, from the 80s and the 90s. They called and they said, you know, you need to do a follow-up. I said, oh, I'm, that was it. I'm not doing a follow-up. I only have one more song that Keith and I wrote. It's nine minutes long. I didn't use it. It was too long for the album. That's, well, we think you should think about it, and here's why. We have all these bands. They sell a lot of records. You did really well. We can't tell you what they sell, but we could tell you that you need to do a follow-up because you did really well. <laughs> I mean, wow. I mean, you know, part of my reason for doing this is to pay tribute to Keith. I mean, he did still have it at the end. He had great ideas. He could still play. So he couldn't play the super fancy stuff. So they really didn't twist my arm, but tried to talk me into it. I said, look, if I can write seven songs that I think Keith would have wanted to work on, after all, I mean, I was half the writing and the singer, and Keith was half the writing and the sound. I mean, I had a big piece of it. I, if I could write the seven, I will finish up the nine-minute piece, which is called Never, and I'll, I'll see how it fits. took me a year to do it, and I worked on that and worked on it. 
the writing and putting the sound, everything, what I wanted and what Keith and I had set the parameters out to be, uh, wasn't that hard to to keep going on the path. I mean, it was my band too, you know? I mean, I, I knew what everybody, what they were thinking. And I played drums, I played keyboards. So, I mean, I every minute with Carl and Keith was a lesson for me, you know? <laughs> yeah, Working with Keith Emerson was like a piano lesson all the time. I'm, oh, oh, you know, I'm <laughs> absorbing all this. Again, I'm a little worried about putting out the album. How can I follow up 3.2, which people are so gracious, welcome with open arms, um, the best reviews I've ever had in my life. And this comes out in the first week, they sell out again. Better reviews than the rules of change. People are saying, we like this even better than the last one. The nice thing for me about that was I, I don't want to be disingenuous and just do some, oh, here's what Keith and I would have done. Here you go. No, I took half this album has the three sound and half of it, I took it where I might go next. Okay. I want to take the audience with me. and But I want to say, here's some of what I'm going to be doing. Now's the time to cut me loose if you don't like it, right? Just, you know, I'd rather have one fan yeah. that really loves the music and says, oh, man, I, you know, oh, that meant a lot to me, then then tend to go, eh, you know, doesn't, he ain't got it anymore. So <laughs> I took that chance. Very first song has a minute of Celtic acoustic guitar kind of stuff. Top of the world, it's called. I thought, I'm going to get rid of him right off the top. Let's, let's see what happens. <laughs> Turns out to be almost the favorite song of everybody. And I'm just blown away. I can't even really express it. I'm so excited about it. It's just been wonderful phenomenal stuff and um, just touching on the on the track never then you, you mentioned you're worried about putting the album out and how it would be received and things like that i mean did you feel any pressure knowing that this was the last track that he'd worked on and and did you feel that pressure of having to make sure that it lived up to everything that you wanted it to be and everything that would rem yeah. remind you of him and of his name and legacy you know it's funny i had that song that was my little gift keith and i working together that no one had ever heard it just sat there I didn't even listen to it after, you know, I said it's too long. So it's been three and a half years since we worked on her. So I was sort of amazed when I went back to work on it, what a great piece of music it was and how, how Emerson, the Emerson parts were. It's like no one would ever doubt that he wrote that and you know, that's his style and everything. This is really strong. And the words weren't quite the same. Um, I adjusted them to how, you know, every lyric I do is sort of a timestamp where I'm at, like most artists, you know, it reflects mm -hmm. that year or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I sort of rewrote some of the lyrics and I did a whole lot of work finishing up, especially the drums, you know, which weren't there. Um, and it was melancholy because I had this little piece for me. Thanks. Save that one little piece of wedding cake in the back of the freezer, you know, that no one ever touches. And uh, I, it was, it, I was sad, kind of, you know, and this is it. When this album comes out, this is it. And yeah. I, I, of course, I've made that clear, too. There will be no more three albums. There's, there's three of them. This is it. I can't do it by myself. It needs to have Keith in it. He's the sound. He's the, that style he has in the writing. Even though a lot of this is my writing, um, even on the first album, three of the songs I wrote by myself, you know, I mean, they, I was brought in as a writer. So, uh, and Keith, of course, arranged and did his thing to him. Our hit was, was my tune. So this has 
six, seven songs written by me and, and only one with Keith, but it's a nine minutes, a big, it's like three songs, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. So it was a little bittersweet, I guess, you know, I, I was glad that it was such a great piece of music. At least I felt it was. And I was sad that that's it. Lovely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Robert. I've, I've enjoyed hearing all your stories and um, I wish you all the very best with this, with this new album. It sounds like it's doing fantastically well already. And um, what's the best way to get a hold of it? I mean, you're sending stuff out yourself. Is there digital ways? Can you get it on Amazon? Or no, is it all just you can get the yourself? album. The album's with Frontiers, so you can get that on Amazon, of course, or through Frontiers Records. But, you know, pretty much everything you need to know is on my website. I'm not a good salesman. I, I'm excited about the vinyl stuff. Just I'm excited about it. I don't want you to buy one. I just want to have it, right? I just love <laughs> it. Um, but it's all that's going to be on the website. In fact, the guy, I think in the next week, is putting up the vinyl and the T-shirt orders. There's a new video coming out for the song, The Devil of Liverpool. At that point, we'll do the pre-release of the T-shirts and vinyl ordering. And that's all on, on the website then, too. So that's www.robertberry.com surprise (laughs) (laughs) nice and easy well it's been an absolute pleasure as i said chatting with you robert and we wish you all the best for the future i appreciate it we'll speak again and good luck and i'll tell greg you said hi there you go the brilliant robert berry there do check out his website robertberry.com and support his work he's had an incredible career as you've just heard and he's worked with a real who's who of the music world and absolutely showing no signs of slowing down Check out his new album, Third Impression, doing well in the charts in the US right now, which is always great to see as well. Right, time then for a couple of quick hellos and thank yous to people who have been in touch with me just this past week. Laszlo Holyfield, big fan of Mother Love Bone, enjoyed my interview with Greg Gilmore from a couple of weeks back. Mark Ryslip was in touch to say it was great to hear Mick Box on last week's show. He has tickets for the rearranged Uriah Heap show, so he'll have to wait another year and two days, apparently, to see them again. Uh, Julie Corner and Jens Foydem were in touch to offer their thoughts on the Uriah Heap Top 5. Namely, offering up the likes of Sunrise and Bird of Prey as two songs that they thought should have been on that list. And a hello as well to Craig Ising, too. It's good to hear from you, Craig. Remember, if you want to get in touch for whatever reason and get your name read out on next week's show, I always love to hear from you. Then find me on all the usual major social media platforms Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. All you got to do is search for Vintage Rock Pod and give me a like or a follow as well. Drop me a message, let me know where you're listening from, all that sort of stuff. And you could be hearing your name read out on the next episode. Also, don't forget you can sign up to be become a Vintage Rock Pod VRP VIP. It's a once-weekly email newsletter that gives you the inside information on future guests and shows and lots of other things as well going on in the Vintage Rock Pod world. Just head to my website. It's vintagerockpod.com. Enter your details on that first page there. It's absolutely free. You don't get bombarded. I don't pass your details on to anyone else. It's all very, very safe. You just get to be in the know when it comes to all things Vintage Rock Pod. Right, with all that said, it's time to catch up with our good friend Tim Peacock now. He's an author and music journalist for Universal Music and Record Collector magazine and he's here to give us a roundup of this week's classic rock news. And it's time to get the latest rock news with our good friend Tim. Tim, how's things? Hi Paul, alright thanks, not too bad, not too bad. Hopefully things are going to start opening up a little bit for us shortly so I might not necessarily be having to look for stories for the listeners which involve just having to stay at home, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed, as Absolutely. you say. Absolutely. So what have you got lined up for us first then, Tim? Okay, Paul. Well, 
there's been plenty about uh, the Duke of Edinburgh, sadly, and various other people who have passed away. So obviously condolences to everybody involved there. But thankfully, our news is a little bit more positive. Um, the first one tonight involves um, Dave Grohl from, well, Nirvana, Foo Fighters, and he's worked with so many other people. Uh, he's announced that he has um, kind of an autobiography is coming out in October this year. When I say kind of an autobiography, Paul, I should uh, try and explain that a bit better. Um, it is an autobiography as such, but it's called The Storyteller, and apparently it's very much based around anecdotal material from a lot of the famous people that Grohl has worked with along along the way. So um, he talks about, apparently it says it involves ch uh, hilarious childhood mishaps, touching family moments, but leaving home to see the world at 18. But then there are lots of stories inevitably about Nirvana and Foo Fighters, but also people like David Bowie, Joan Jett, Iggy Pop, Paul McCartney, uh, playing drums for Tom Petty on Saturday Night Live. I remember he, he did that. Performing at the White House. And this is the one that of interest to me. Apparently there's even a story in there about swing dancing with ACDC, which sounds extremely <laughs> unlikely. But if the man says it happened, it must have happened. So anyway, yeah. So anyway, it's called The Storyteller and it's published on October the 5th. Um, certainly it's different publishers in different countries. There, there isn't a pre-order, at least mm -hmm. as yet. Um, but it's going to be available through certainly Simon & Schuster in the UK. So anyway, October the 5th, no doubt it will come to Amazon probably well before that and most other outlets of that nature. Yep. Um, so I'd say that would be pretty interesting. He's, he's, I mean, he's the kind of go-to guy for all kinds of things, isn't he, Dave Grohl? So I think that would be worth, yeah, worth reading. Absolutely. I think one of his little projects that I really enjoyed was uh, Them Crooked Vultures. Which was was fantastic. Absolutely. Um, there's talk of him wanting to do another record with with them, but I don't know whether that will come to fruition. I mean, Josh Homme and um, Paul, John Paul yeah. Jones, of course, who, I mean, legendary figures, and again, go to guys for, I mean, huge names for all sorts of people, really. <laughs> uh, I mean, John Paul Jones. I mean, even before he was in Led Zeppelin, he, he did string arrangements for loads and loads of people. So, um, and yeah, so I don't know whether their schedules would work out, but you'd be <laughs> you'd be hoping that album was great. So, yeah, was, you know. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed indeed. Right, what have you got next for us then, Tim? Right, Paul. Uh, second one tonight is uh, obviously most vintage rock fans would be fans of the blues. If we didn't have the blues, we would have no rock and roll, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the second one tonight is about, uh, doc it's about a documentary which is called Born in Chicago. Um, this actually was available in, originally in 2013, but it's now being released. It's actually out now digitally so through Eagle Rock. So um, if you're a fan of the blues, this is it's quite in-depth. It's called Born in Chicago. Uh, it's the story of first-generation blues performers taking the railroad from the Mississippi Delta to Chicago and the middle-class white kids who discovered a thrilling, secret, far-out world at the end of the radio dial. I mean, effectively, you know, if people like, obviously, Keith Richards, Mick Jagger, Eric Clapton, people like that had, had not been into the blues, we probably wouldn't have had a lot of the music that we've had over the last 50, 60 years. Certainly a lot that would, we would consider vintage rock kind of came from this wellspring so anyway this is um the documentary it deals with its um chicago blues transcended the color lines of the 1960s um it's about the white chicago musicians musicians who apprenticed themselves with legends such as muddy waters howling wolf it tells the story of a lot of the blues legends who in fact we all hold in high esteem 
Um, so it's all about that. It looks quite, it's going to be quite interesting. Uh, it brings to life the excitement of the thriving blues scene in Chicago. It's legendary artists, the teenage adventures, <clears throat> and young musicians told by those who benefited from a unique real life blues education. So the history of American blues is at the root of modern music. So it talks about most of those famous performers who, you know, we'd all come back to. Um, it was originally released physically in 2013. Don't know if it had a cinema release, but I think it was certainly out. But now it's available digitally. So um, born in Chicago, it's available through Eagle Rock Entertainment. And I'd say pretty much most digital platforms, uh, most respected digital platforms would have it. So that's okay. the second yeah, one that's available now. Very interesting indeed. The Blues, as you said, it was one of those that, that Americans produced the, the uk kind of reproduced it and sold it back to america didn't they and, and they lapped it up in by the droves absolutely yeah very much so um and it's interesting the way that these things go around and come around again isn't it really i mean <clears throat> you could say with other musical styles since then i mean yep. punk in a sense you could say that the americans started it in new york came to london we sold it back etc yeah. etc so it's fascinating with music isn't it the way it, it keeps going around and people <laughs> keep adding new twists to it all the time anyway absolutely. but as you say absolutely the blues is very very important to the core of what we all listen to so yeah that's the second one for tonight brilliant stuff well worth checking out so what have you got left for us okay paul finally tonight um about uh, this is actually i don't know if you knew but this is actually international guitar month uh, April at the moment. So my final story involves that tonight. It's a US satellite broadcaster, Sirius, Sirius XM, who we're all very familiar with. They're celebrating International Guitar Month uh, this month with a new limited engagement channel. It's called uh, Sirius XM Guitar Greats. It's channel 105, and it salutes the greatest guitarists in history, including Eric Clapton, Jimi Hendrix, and Prince, and, and quite a lot more. Now, this actually started on April the 5th, Paul, but it goes through until April the 19th. So if anyone is interested in, there's any number of people, actually, the, the three uh, legendary figures I've already named mm -hmm. there, but also Chuck Berry, Buddy Holly, The Edge uh, from U2, yeah. Jimmy Page, Nancy Wilson from Heart, um, Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine, Eddie Van Halen, who of course sadly is no longer with us, and also Keith Urban. So, I mean, there's quite a variety of styles and players being celebrated there. And what's interesting about it actually is the hosts on the show are actually famous guitarists themselves choosing their idols, if you like. I mean, um, you've got, for example, some of the some of the hosts there involve uh, Dave Navarro, who most of us would probably know from James. either James yeah. Addiction or Red Hot Chili Peppers, and also Peter Frampton. So, I oh, mean, wow. Frampton himself <laughs> would be someone a lot of people would hold up. So, I don't know who Frampton's chosen, but anyway, if you go to SiriusXM's website, uh, Channel 150, you get all of the lowdown that you need. Oh, just actually to finish that story, one lucky SiriusXM subscriber can win a Gibson Les Paul standard 50s guitar like the one Eric Clapton played in the early days of Cream. There's a competition going on for that as well. Yeah. And an autograph backstage laminate and more. So for serious guitar fans, and um, that could be something to check out. Absolutely. That sounds fascinating. So, yeah. I yeah. really like the sound of that. And like you said, yeah. a really diverse mix of, of people you've mentioned there as well. Keith Urban was a bit of a surprise at the end. So yeah, it, it just shows you. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm kind of something for everyone there. So anyway, through to April the 19th, Paul, um, that's available for Sirius, X, Sirius XM 
uh, subscribers and anyone who just wants to check the channel Absolutely. Out. Thank you very much, Tim. Another fascinating roundup of the world of classic rock for us. You're very welcome, Paul. Okay, thanks very much as always. And that's it for another episode of Vintage Rock Pod. Do check out Robert Berry's new album under the brand name of 3.2. The album's called Third Impression. If this is the first time you've listened, then please hit the follow or subscribe button to make sure you don't miss future episodes. They come out every Monday morning with a big name interview, news, nostalgia, all that sort of stuff to fill your classic rock needs. You can take a scroll back and see some of the big name guests we've had on so far as well. Please give us a follow or a like on social media too. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, that sort of thing. And don't forget to sign up to become a VRP VIP as well. Go to my website and you can surf around on there, vintagerockpod.com. Tell your friends, your family, neighbours, colleagues, anyone really, just to get listening and join in. Until episode 25 then, remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock, just tell them, my music is better than yours. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.